Welcome to the London Welsh Rugby Club podcast. This is episode 7. Many thanks for your reviews, but we would particularly like them on Apple, where possible. We have read your comments on Facebook and have loved the engagement on Twitter, so please keep that coming as well. I enjoyed this week's episode, one of our first with our current players. All the best. Welcome to the pod, prop star and London Welsh women's head coach, Michael Griffiths. Hi, Michael. Hey, Gareth. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very hot. We're recording this on the hottest day of the year so far. So how are you doing? How's lockdown been? And what has kept you busy? Oh, it's, uh, it's definitely a scorch. I've got all the fans going in the, in the house at the moment. Um, it's, it's been all right. Um, just trying to tick on with things and trying to keep myself mentally focused and trying to get through because um with the whole situation with COVID at the moment I'm not able to work yet um and we we have to take our dog in so she to the vets to get uh, a bit of surgery done so she's currently feeling sorry for herself and asking for cuddles so uh now we're, we're ticking along nicely just keeping the dogs company and, and just going day to day really that's that's fair enough that's fair enough I think you know a lot of people have been in um trying circumstances and you know and uh you know, when you're in, or in your own business, which we'll come on to that later on in the pod about what you do for a living. But, you know, it's it's been a time for reflection for lots of people and to people to up their fitness or, or chill out more or watch Netflix or whatever. You're married, aren't you, yeah? Yeah, so me and my wife, Tom, we've been married for two years. We had an anniversary this week, which was, uh, like, we had a, had ideas to, to go away for a bit of a baby moon because we're expecting in September as well. So we've been working in the nursery. Um, but obviously we, we can't really go anywhere so we just we we just had a day to to ourselves and we went through some old pictures from the honeymoon and that was quite nice but other than that uh, I think she might be getting bored of me ah uh, see so that's that's the problem isn't it um, but I think at least you have a London Welsh mini on the way oh that's the hope uh, I'll be told well, yeah, yeah. it's mixed rugby till 11 so do you know I mean it's a, it's a mini you've to boy or a girl yeah Oh, that's it. I've already said to her, like, no, no matter what it comes out as, because we don't know yet. So uh, it's it's going to play rugby, and she's like, no, no, it can try. I was like, no, no, it's it's definitely playing. End of conversation. <laughs> well, we digress. Look, the whole point of this pod is to find out more about some of the characters we've got at the club. So I'd love to find out more about your journey in rugby and how you've ended up at London Welsh. So how, when did you get into rugby? Where did you play? You know, school or uni, and then which clubs have you been to? So I'm originally from Wolverhampton in the Midlands. Uh, I'm one of four boys, but only two of us played rugby. And my dad used to play for uh, Ludlow when he was growing up. Uh, he's he famously reminds me that he's he's played at Twickenham for a proper game of rugby, whereas I've just played touch in football. Um, and then he moved to Moseley and, and played there for their championship winning team in the eighties. And he's in um, well, the history books is the first ever non international game to include substitutes against Fiji. So he's got a double number of me on, on big rugby history. But I started when I was eight. Uh, and it's quite funny because we ended up watching Shanks play for Dudley Kings Wingford. Uh, so Jonathan Shanklin, who's the director of rugby. Yeah. So you were eight and you're watching him play rugby. So you must be like 15 to 20 years younger than him. Is that right? Uh, somewhere around <laughs> the, the, the lower mark, we'll say. He was, he, was, he was kind of coming through the youth section there as well. Well, no, he, he just moved to, to the area. 
I think he he was quite young when he did that. So he was he was just starting out with the club, and it was when we were playing into getting up towards national three, national two level. Um, so I think the last time he played there, or I saw him play there, was when I was about fourteen, and I was there for all the age grade up until uh, Colts level, where we got to the national semi finals, and after that, I uh, I left the club and moved down to London to go to university. Okay, so um, so yeah, so lots lots of youth rugby and representative rugby, which is great. We won't ask how, how Shanks was because he gets a lot of attention anyway, so we can, we can, we can we'll, we'll ignore that bit. But it's great to, to, to you've obviously hooked up there. He's worked very well on his elocution lessons because there's no sort of Dudley accent with with, um, with Shanks anyway. But um, so you came to University in London. So where was that exactly? So I went to St Mary's Uni in Twickenham, uh, which uh, is very funny. I've met um, Chris Cairns as well, who's who's playing in the squad, and he's he's had a little one as well, so he's had the year off. But he says he's definitely coming back, so there'll be good competition there and good to see him. Um, and James Collins Clark was there as well at the same time, so it was quite good to when I eventually joined the club. Finally, it, uh, it was good to know a couple of boys. Um, but I did drama to start with, and then did a masters in in sports rehab. Um, but couldn't really find a club to settle up properly, so I, I like, played for Quinn's Ams. I think I played against London Welsh Ams three or four times, and never got that magic win um, there. So after that, shifted off to London Irish, and didn't really get a chance to train properly, so only fairly I didn't get a chance to play in the first team. And then I went and played uh, again for Tamesians, and once again I played against London Welsh Ams, and we finally got the win. And at the same time we were winning, I had uh, Shanks chew my ear off about trying to join the club then. So it was, was Shanks playing on that day for London Welsh Amateurs? Yeah, so I'd, I'd missed the reverse fixture at London Welsh where we got absolutely hosed by 40 or 50 points, rightly, I think. And then they came down to Marble Hill Park on a very drudgy waterlogged pitch and we somehow managed to to squeak home with a, a one point win even though I, I nearly fumbled the ball over our own try line to let him score but I wasn't letting Shanks score that day um yeah and he, we had a chat after and um I was already going from there to civil service rugby um but I said I if it's not working out there I'll definitely come down and have a look at London Welsh Okay, so so did you play uh, rugby at university as well? Then did, yeah. did you see Margaret University have a have a team and are they successful? So we so when I joined in two thousand eight, we were quite successful we were playing in Prem A, and then just um, I think it was a combination of a fault of our own of just too many egos and and too many people in the wrong places and, and picking mates, not people who actually train and put the hard work in there. We went from Prem A down to B down to to South East One, and they just kept going and going, and I think. Um, I was part of three different teams that was a promotion team, a relegation team and a survival team. And there are so many different emotions going through the whole thing at the same time, especially we, uh, our relegation game was we were winning with, we, I think we had 15 points uh, lead with 10 minutes to go when we butchered it while we are in Cardiff. And it's, I can tell you, losing in Cardiff, it's a four-hour drive back is just, it's the most depressing thing ever. So, yeah, sure. It's been up and down, but I keep checking them now regularly and they're, they're back into Prem B where they should be. And they've got a nice link with uh, the London Irish Academy there. So that's coming on leaps and bounds. So, so you've you played a few clubs. So London Irish, Wild Geese, I suppose you're talking about now, who were probably a National 2 or National 3 club at, at the time. Yeah, they were playing in that three. I mean, I, like I said, I never really got a chance to, to play for the first team you know, just because a combination of trying to work and study and, and get yourself down to Sunbury is, is a bit of a mission at the time. Um, but it's, it's one of the things I kind of always like, agreed with that if you don't train you shouldn't be able to play for the higher teams because it's just it's not fair on, on people who are putting the effort in So so after that then you sort of 
Dilly, I'll say Dilly Dallied, right? You played for a few other teams. So you've always consistently played rugby since you were eight, really, by, by, the, by the sounds of it. So you've, you've shanked to get to London Welsh, but I think you came to London Welsh via a different route as well, didn't you? Because they didn't do some coaching in youth first before you yeah. could actually play for the club. So I was still playing for civil service uh, at the time and I'd just finished... Um finished uh, work up in Middlesex University and I just started coaching their their men's and women's teams there I was quite enjoying it and uh, and I popped up on the RFU site to coach uh, the London Welsh 16s I thought well it's a lot easier to get from here to to Hendon so I'll uh, I'll, uh, I'll apply for that see how it goes and I think uh, Gareth, Gay- Gareth Hawkins who was the team manager gave me a, a trial session we had a chat after and uh, he was quite happy with how it went so yeah that was my way into the club from there so you so you coached them for for one year, is that right? So I yeah, so I coached the sixteens for a year, and then they obviously followed it with them up into the seventeens, eighteens model that we're currently running yeah, and then, now. Okay, yeah, and then and then so from that, then when did you decide to move as a player to London Welsh? Because you say so you played for Tunisians against London Welsh, but that was prior to like the the rebirth, wasn't it? Yeah, so that was still when the the pros were. Like, I think. Uh, I think that that is that was definitely before then. Um, so, like I said, I was playing at civil service, and like they're a nice bunch of lads, but it just it's it's the one different thing you see at London Welsh, which I think is lovely, is that it is like a proper like a proper rugby club. Whereas you see in many many teams right now, everyone stays for like the the customary uh, pint or a drink and have like a five minute chat, and then they all shoot off and leave. And there's no kind of like family or heart or building around the club. So. It's great that we have a juniors and like the juniors will hang around sometimes on a Saturday or the parents will bring them down and they'll watch and they like especially when we run out to the pitch, it's quite nice to have some lads just shouting and like a bit of support and you can't turn around and you see the like 14, 15, you're like, oh and then you hear stories like um uh Gwynson Griff. Uh, he comes on for his his debut cap when we played against Old Merchant Taylors last year and Within one touch, he scores, and the the whole stands going absolutely mental. And that's that's the kind of atmosphere you want. Is there everyone supporting the club to be bigger from the ground up? No, no, certainly is. I think so. You would have made your debut in London Northwest Three. Is that right? Is that so? You missed the first year of Half Middlesex One, and then you joined us in Northwest Three. Am, am I right in thinking that? Yeah, that's correct. So. Um, yeah, it was actually quite nice to finally get some game time because most of the season before with civil service, I, I was turning up and training but not getting a selection and then they put you into twos and it's the classic thing of, of people not taking their rugby as seriously is that, you know, uh, by the selection on Wednesday night, you've got 20. By Thursday night, it's 18. By Friday night, it's 15. And by Saturday morning, the game's off. So you have to go find something else to do. And it, I think that's the great thing with, with the club and the Druids and the Ockies is that everyone's quite happy to interchange and everyone works towards playing for the first team. But it's not like a whole ego's put out of joint if you don't get selected. It's it's kind of a motivational to get down the club and get playing again. And just for our listeners, really, so um, the civil service, what what standard is they? Are they are they in what league are they in? So right now they they somehow survived the the strange point system the RFU put in place towards the end. Um, they are still in in what is National Three, but it's uh, London South East Premier. So that that be the league. If should London Welsh win this season, they would go into yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So cool. So so now you know we'll f- forget about the history and f- talk about now. So what you know you've mentioned a bit what attracted to London Welsh. So what's it like for someone like yourself who's played rugby for a long time to come to a, a setup like London Welsh and then to play 
in front of the supporters at ODP. I'd say it's it's quite reminiscent actually of, of being back down uh, back up sorry at home at Dudley where because it's the same kind of set with the clubs that there there's a drive from the juniors the minis and the juniors to to want to play for the first team and the first team are held in a high regard that that's the top standard you want to be at before you go anywhere else and it's just the it was kind of a bit shocking to walk, like you know, have your first game for the club, and then walk into the bar after, and you've got like twenty people who want to shake your hand and have a chat with you, and and want to know you, and you just kind of think, well, just just a lad who turns up on a Saturday and plays a bit of rugby for fun, but to them, it's it's quite a nice nice thing to see that there's a massive following still for the club. Yeah, but also, you know, I don't know if you how many games you played though, where you've had to play in front of you know five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred people, because you know, around you know levels. Um, four, five, six, seven, eight. You, know, you don't get that. You don't really get that many clubs with that sort of following, do you? No, I think what was the stat was uh, we had over a thousand people through the gate for uh, the was it for the uh, Datchworth game last season? It has been confirmed by Price Waterhouse Cooper. I'll have you know. And you got to think that so it is a thousand over a thousand people definitely. And that's beating how many numbers? How many games in the championship that weekend as well? I think most most clubs. Um, I think so. Um, yeah, it's a. Yeah, I mean, I just like you know, I must be you know, I I'm a volunteer at the club, but to see that many people at the games, to see um, the enjoyment all the players get about play, you know playing at you know at London Welsh, and I love I love seeing all, you know the number of kids at the ground you see because you know they're the future stars, and when you, know, you mentioned it there, we'd love to have a pathway from our minis to youth to the to our senior squads, you know, and that's the key thing we're trying to build at the club. That's it. I, I just remember like every. I mean, I never really liked rugby to start with, and then when I started to realise I was kind of good at knocking holes in people, that was that was kind of waking it up. But every Saturday, my dad would say, "Do you want to go rugby?" And I think, "Oh, it's a day at the house." And slowly but surely, you kind of watch a bit more, and then you meet some kids there, and you play a bit more, and you, your skills get better, and you have a bit more fun, and then you kind of watch the games and you learn a bit more. And it's just really good to see that still carrying on at, at some big clubs, and especially want to be part of like London Welsh. No, it certainly is. But just so you know, um, you're the first player we've spoken to on on the pod. If you Park Kai Griffiths to an aside. Um, so um, I'm just wondering, you know, um, what's the vibe of the squad at the moment, and how did you feel at the end of this? You know, the, the, how the season ended, um, and you know, and sort of what you know, how you're gearing up for pre-season, I suppose. I mean, the, the vibe's been pretty positive. Uh, most of the lads, we're still in contact with each other. We have a, we've got groups that we just have a good bit of banter in, but then we're also. Like making sure we know where we all stand with the fitness, and we've got Kai, Shings, Will, Rocky, and Paul. Just making sure that we're all staying on top of like doing little things. So um, we're all doing bits of fitness away. Although if anyone can keep up with uh, Reese Howlett, that'd be amazing. I've, uh, <laughs> I, I've I've had the pleasure of, of of run past London Welsh doing five five k a day, and I've I've seen him getting beasted by Will out on the pitch. And I think I'd rather be back in bed. But there's there's one worse place to be. It's with Will Taylor on the pitch. <laughs> and what about the end of last season? And how did that feel, how did that feel in the end to, for the, to the players? Oh, it was massive anticlimactic, really, wasn't it? So it, it was it was kind of the whole period of kind of sitting there waiting to see what was happening, and you, you hear that the Welsh leagues are they're going to can off the year, they canned off the women's uh, Premier League, and you're kind of hoping it doesn't happen because especially when we've all put in the hard work for almost six months. You, you just wish you'd kind of get some re- repayment out of it. And fortunately, the, the RFU were quite smart with uh, the equation of making sure we got the points. Although I'll nitpick and say they should have given us the, the 100 round number again, because that would have been three seasons on the bounce, I think, for the boys. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah no, we're, it would have been. 
we're happy with the promotion. We we know we deserved it, um, and we're looking forward to next season already. Yeah, so as you mentioned, that you're three hours is like is getting fit. But imagine, you know, with going up a division, we're going to be recruiting more players. That means that there's going to be some increased competition, and especially maybe in the front row because we've already seen, you know, we've re-signed, you know, Sam Mahoney, Mark Weir, Dan Jones, Andrew Black, and yourself back. Never mind all the new players. So that must focus the mind on 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 your pre-season, I suppose. It's exciting, isn't it? So. No, it's, it's, it's good to have competition, though. And uh, I think that's, like I said, the, the good thing, especially with the Druids, is that it's not a massive step down with, with the level of how we treat it. It's, it's still quite a serious level because they've been promoted as well. So the games are only get, get get tougher for them. So everyone needs to bring their best in training and on the Saturdays. So we know that it's it's good competition to have. Um, and also, you know, if, if one of us has taken a knock, it means that we, we, as a squad, we can rotate and give each other a bit of time off to to get back to 100% and give it all because we're, we're not taking part in this league this season just to, you know, uh, stay the ship and make sure we're, we're treading water. We're, we're going into it to win it again. I, I, I think Kai would say the same. No, certainly, yeah. Um, I think, you know, the the increased competition is going to just drive standards across across both squads. I think that's the key thing. So, you know, our Druids are going to be just as strong as our you know first team, and it's going to be exciting to watch you know both those teams, and then what that means then for more people playing rugby at the club. You know that's the key thing with more new players coming and everyone resigning. We could potentially have three really good squads um, and lots of people at training. So um, that that that's what excites me. I must admit. Nice. So um, looking at um, looking at you know sort of you and Andrew Black really because you were the dynamic duo last year and pro- probably in my opinion you were ever present. I'm sure you must have missed a game or two between you. Um, so how did you gel on and off the pitch with your compatriot? Oh, most people say he's my twin brother. So we uh, <laughs> no, we get on like a house on fire. Me and Black, it's 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 quite nice. He's easy lad to chat to. We have a good good chat over beers and on the bus sometimes, and it's it, it's we just seem to gel. And uh, he, to be fair, he does all the hard running, and I just tend to muck up all the rooks and stuff. So it seems to work quite nicely. I must admit, I felt he he moved from number eight to to to. Uh... To prop, it seems seamless, really, that transition, because, you know, it's not an easy one to make, is it? It's far too quick to play in the front row, if you ask me, but uh, there's no one else I'd rather hold down that front row with, him or Butcher, maybe. And I think me and Marky Weir, we've done a job last season as well. So, And like I I said, with the competition, it also comes like different combinations, and we know that four of us, and and Dan Jones as well at the end of last year, so all five of us, we work well together. Um, so it's just on the, the new boys coming in to make sure they, they join in the London World Spirit and, and make sure that they're quite happy to to play the way that we want to play and also throw themselves into the club. Exactly. And so um, so next season, um, London Welsh are in London South 1 and Kai's already mentioned he thinks that's going to be 60% more challenging. So, so what do you think that's going to mean for the players? It's it's going to be tough. Uh, having played there with civil service, it's, it's the common... Like, because they, they used to be in London North One, and so the boys there used to say, "Oh, well, in the North they're just big and tough, but in the in the bottom, in the South, they're they're quicker, they're fitter, and the skill sets just so much more higher." So we've got to make sure that when it comes to it, we we execute with purpose. We make sure we do it every time, because if you give teams like in this league a chance, they'll they'll take it, and you'll suddenly see yourself from rather being like six six nil down, you'll be twenty one nil down, and it'll only be ten minutes on the clock. So. We've just got to make sure that we, we go in the right attitude, that we are, we, we're going to a target in our back, but also 
there's a standard to be met throughout the whole league and we've got to rise to it. No, definitely. And so with with this COVID lockdown, it, pre-season, um, we don't, don't really know when it's going to start. So what, have they, what have you had from Kai or Will or, or Shanks around you know, pre-season starting? Um, so we're still targeting pre-season to start after the 4th of July. I think that's that's definitely on to, to still be met. Um, we're going to be starting, I think, with a meeting to start with and then we'll do some fitness testing. Um, I know Will and, and Shings have been sending out a lot of running uh, fitness models to be done. Um, and the, the, dreaded, the dreaded Bronco test keeps getting brought up. So uh, I think I've seen what, what you... Is- <laughs> I just want to say, you know, I know what the Bronco test is, but what is what is if you describe the Bronco test to our listeners, how would you do that? Cardiovascular death. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's a, a endurance test uh, as well as sprint test. So we do uh, twenty meters and back, forty meters and back, sixty meters and back. That's one shuttle. You do that five times, uh, and I think the target is for front rows like myself to be somewhere around the five minute mark at most. Um, five minutes that yeah. is flipping fast so well that, that that's will's count on how fast he can go so i think there's no excuses for the front row he thinks having been a former professional front row himself okay well that, that, that's only that's great you've got given targets and that's quite clear and that's also the only one aspect of pre-season is you know there's all you know the line-out calls the scrums that sort of thing but you know, that, that'll come with time and fingers crossed you know once you know, lockdown eases um, even more. You know, we can have those pre-season fixtures, whether they're in August or September, and we actually get a season starting September or October. Because I, I don't know about you, but I just can't wait for those fixtures to come out to start planning our weekends watching rugby again. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm dreaming of it. It's, I mean, having two rugby union games on a weekend's kind of killing me. So I've been, I've been watching the NRL for a bit, and even that's getting, getting me a bit anxious to start doing some running in a bit. It's quite funny. Um, uh, I know the coach of uh, Hammersmith and Fulham, and he he dropped me a message after like they announced it and said, "Oh, you're lucky you didn't uh, get the game against us." So I think they're they're looking forward to when that fixture comes out straight away. No, I think we're all you know, we're all gutted that, that some of the end of season didn't happen because we would have won it anyway. I think we'd have won it anyway, but it would have you know shut up some of the other teams and clubs maybe. Do you know what I mean around that? So but look, as you say, we'll we'll play them next season. Uh, and the key thing, it was such a it was they were. They were Great characters after the game, you know, after the game had finished, and you know, like a proper rugby club, play the game, and everyone's having a few drinks afterwards, which is what we want to see, really, isn't it? Oh yeah, no, I think they're just annoyed that we were taking, the, we had all the take-ins on our day, and it was meant to be their old boys' day when we played them, so they lost out on that as well. Uh, well, I'm sure lots, lots of clubs have lost out on that, but we want to talk now more about your dual role, really, because you not only do you train Tuesdays and Thursdays and play Saturday for the New Welsh, you also coach the women's team on a Wednesday night, and you know for. 12 to 15 games a season, you're coaching them on a Sunday. So um, how did that, that come about? Um, and you, you mentioned you coached somewhere else before, I think it was one of your university teams, but, but where else have you coached and what are your aspirations around coaching? Yeah, so um, the year, after the, having the year with the 16s, um, uh, Paul, who was coaching the women's team that year, he was moving on. Um, so a role came uh, available. So I, I had a chat with the, the women's team there and with Paul himself. We'd met a couple of times on a Wednesday night. Um, and I said, I'll, I'll be interested in applying for it. So same again, which I think is great for, for coaching jobs is you, you have to come down, you run a session. Uh, of course, I ran mine on scrummaging because that's the only thing I really know. 
<laughs> and uh, I even got the back scrummaging and kind of put the purpose in. It's the same position for like rucking and tackling. And uh, yeah, we seem to hit it off. They seem to not mind me barking or shouting or blowing a whistle. Um, yeah, and I took that over. Um, it was quite funny because um, I'd always been, I'd coached at Middlesex University and, and coached the men's team there and they were quite successful. Uh, we won the league that year, but I was more focused on the women's team there. Um, they'd gone through periods of um, not being able to get teams out or just getting absolutely hosed. Uh, and we went from being always at the bottom of the pile uh, in one in one or two seasons to being about mid-table, you know, winning half our games. Um, and we just about started to build the link with Saracens women there as well when I'd left. Um, so I'd always been interested in the women's game to start with, really, because it's it's the next big thing, I think, for rugby. Yeah, no, I think you're right. You know, it's, it's, it's certainly growing. Um, and actually, you know, let's, we'll, you know, we'll move on to you know, what's happened to Richmond, really, because... You know, they've left, the, we can't really call it Tyrrell's Premiership now, but they're now not in the top division of women's rugby. You know, um, and those squads now being reduced. What are your thoughts on um, the progress of, of women's rugby over really, the last couple of years? It's, I don't know, it's, it's almost like a two steps forward, one step back kind of situation. Um, I know looking at the situation when they originally were picking the, the teams, or some people want to call them franchises because they ring-fenced it, um, they they kind of broken down uh, certain selection points that some certain teams that had a lot of England players uh, like Litchfield, um, they got canned straight away because they couldn't keep they couldn't have the proper medical facilities. Um, and I think looking at the fixtures and results, um, which I think was a bit unfair on uh, Richmond especially this year, uh, everyone's like looks and goes, well, 106 nil lost to to Harlequins. So you got to think, well, that was a Harlequins team with all their internationals back. Um, and that was a Richmond team who'd purposely put out a development side to to see what they had throughout their entire squad. But the way it's working now with cutting down the teams, I think um, it's going to help a lot of the local clubs lower down just to get a bit more experience, a bit more talent back in. Um, it's it's an issue I've always seen, especially with like professionalism, that people are quite happy to go in and poach and head and headhunt. Um, and you see some clubs who they they bring in a lot of people. Uh, they pay him an X amount, um, and then the second things get tough, you suddenly see the team breaks down, the club breaks down, it just doesn't go anywhere. Um, and I think women's rugby was a bit in danger of, of doing that with just o- over-recruitment of development squads. Um, and I think we've got to bear in mind as well, with with players who are, uh, they are new borderline professionals, they'll be training a lot more than they're used to, and that that itself takes a lot of toll on the body. Uh, and I think that's the the current argument going on with men's professional is that they're playing too much. Okay, so I mean, so so that that's like Richmond and the, and the, and they're now not in the Premiership. So how many divisions below Richmond would would London Welsh women be now? So I'd imagine Richmond will enter back into the Championship. So London Welsh will be probably about three or four leagues below it. Okay. Okay, so that's, that's fair enough. Because it, it's, it's just trying to get a, you know, you, you you don't really have all the women's rugby in the rugby paper, so it's like it's when you get the, the the top division, so it's quite hard to understand exactly where it all where it all fits in, really. So we're basically like a, a level five club, really, for women's rugby, yeah. Essentially, yeah. Okay, now that's fair. As I say, that's fair enough. So um, you're being coached, you know, by uh, our coaching our coaching squad in the men's as a male player. Do you transfer any of the learnings you have from that environment into the women's environment? 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think uh, I definitely like to steal some of uh, Kai and Shing's uh, and Rocky and Paul's work. It's it's so much more. It's it's a different kind of view on it. So there'll be things I'll write down the week uh, at the weekend after a after a game, or just thinking about a session we need to work on before a game, and then we'll do something on Tuesday night, and I'll just think, right, I'm going to lift that from there and uh, shamelessly steal it. But uh, it's it's quite good to see different coaching uh, variations. I think during the lockdown, especially, I've got into listening to a lot of podcasts and and thinking how other coaches think. So. I think the big one with quite high-end coaches, they're looking for um, skill links between different games. So I started looking at netball and basketball because actually a lot of um, the youth uh, England players now, they don't they don't get picked up from the age of uh, 13, 14 like you, they would do in the in the boys or the schools. It's it's kind of looking at the ones who drop out of quite serious high uh, sports in, in other areas that can be drafted in. So you're thinking about your netballers for your second rows, um, or any like a lot of um, the England team at the moment, I think have got a bit of judo or martial arts training in them as well, or at least done spells in that, and that's that's really helped. You can see with their aggression, especially. So it's, it's just trying to look at different ways that different coaches do things because you're constantly learning. So how can we use that then from a recruitment point of view? So do we need to be hanging around judo gyms and netball courts for? Um, people who have maybe had enough of that sport want to try something new? I definitely wouldn't knock it. Uh, I think it's it's kind of like a two-pronged attack that we've... I think the, the good thing for the, the women's team is that they are, they're very social with um, making sure they, they're very inclusive, they're very open. The the footprint we've had in the club, I think, has grown over the last two years. You see a lot more of them now come down on the Saturday. We had uh, the famous Guernsey 8 come out with us last year for the away game to Guernsey. <laughs> Uh, which has been the talk of the uh, the supporters club, and they were very upset when we didn't get Guernsey in our league this year. Um, and I think that's just helped that the the bigger kind of footprint we have with the club and in the area, the more we can advertise. But at the same time, what Coops, Kesh, Ruth have done, um, getting the girls team started as well, has been absolutely fantastic because that means that we can now look at developing uh, age group homegrown players. Uh, and we had uh, Jemima. Come play for us this year, and she was she was homegrown, and she played the last four or five games and was fantastic. I think on our uh, on our home game against Chesham, she got player of the match, which was only like a third game for the team as well, which was fantastic to see. No, that's great, and and she's like she coached the London Welsh girls, and she for uh, for the whole of last season, having been injured prior to that, and then coming back from injury, she found a place and a club to play for that she you know, really enjoyed the training. The confidence grew, and you know, at the appropriate time, you know, the the, the Welsh women, you know, you brought in because she was only seventeen at the time, and so to, to play at uh, the quality, quality she did, she did really well, and that's a reflection really of how you and the rest of the team looked after her. No, exactly. I think it's it is it's always quite daunting to step up, whether it's into a new team or into a, a new age grade, especially if you're going from playing juniors into to full seniors. But she handled herself really well. Uh, I think we got her talking and shouting at the forwards more by the last game, which was fantastic to see because she came in quite quiet. But yeah, no, she, I think I'd like to say she enjoyed it. She told me she did, but uh, that could also be trying to make sure she gets selected for the next game. <laughs> no, I'm sure I'm sure she did. Um, so just looking back at last season, what you know, because the season had finished just about um, by the time the lockdown um, happened. What what are your reflections on last season? Uh I think because we we we've had a debrief of it and we we kind of chatted about we were disappointed with how we played in the first game, 
uh, at Battersea. And I think we, we kind of had a wake up call then. Um, and we just look at lost opportunities as well, where we've, we know that we, we have higher standards or we just let things slip at the wrong time and that let teams in or we didn't quite finish the job off. I mean, we finished fourth on points difference to Barnes, but we beat them back-to-back games, home and away. Um, so that was a bit hard to take. But fair play to, to Battersea and Chesham. They they deserve to be one and two. Um, I think Chesham will be quite disappointed they finished second. But uh, no, they... Like, it, the league's quite tough. Um, there's only like one one or two teams that you can maybe think you'll definitely get an easy two tries out of. And that's usually like towards the end when everyone's absolutely exhausted. And the rest of the league, it's it's a toss-up of who wants it more on the day and who plays better and who who's a lot more clinical with how they play the game. Yeah, no, I watched those games of Chesham and Batsy. They're, you know, they're good teams and you're right. They deserve to be first and second. So how do you... When you are fourth, and how do you measure the the success of the season for the Welsh women? So, as a club, we we kind of measure it on on both how we perform, but also um, how many numbers we we've got. It's 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 not a lie that women's rugby is not massively uh, well. Uh, I'm trying to, trying to think of the term for it. It's, um, it's, it's getting better with how it's seen, uh, with the stereotypes behind it. I think that's that's one of the things that's been quite good to see. It's been, been kind of thrown to the side a bit more, especially uh, I think there was one with the international women's during the Six Nations last year where they they had like the top 10 questions that w- women rugby players hate hearing. And I think that dispelled a lot of myths around that. Um, so definitely how we're seen socially, like I said earlier, like the, the women's team getting down a bit more and getting the supporters club behind them, I think. Um, especially we had the St. Davis Day game and to have the amount of support that we had for that game, I think that was one of the targets for the girls is that we want to make sure that that's a, re- a repeat as many ga- home games as possible to get as many people down to watch us and actually support the team. But yeah, looking looking at how we finish the league, we want to be definitely the top two minimum and we hold ourselves to a high standard. But we also want to make sure that we don't sacrifice that for, for making sure we're a fun club or an accepting club. Um, and we, we're open to anyone who wants to join, whether they've played for ages or if they're completely new. I think last season we had uh, three women join who had previously played, but we had eight girls who had never played before over the course of the last two years. And by the end of it, I think in the last game of the season, we had five starters who never played before two years ago. And it's com- like a massive turnaround in people when they want to turn up and actually throw themselves into it and give it a good shot. So as long as we stay... Uh, focused on playing our best but also supporting each other as a team and encouraging more people to, to participate and play rugby I think that's the that's the good target goal to have They're great numbers you just said there that, that really is outstanding and that's a reflection of what, you know, you, what you've done and the, the, all the, you know, the women players who've made everyone feel welcome um, Are you playing in the same league next year or has there been any sort of changes with teams at all? Um, did, did Battersea end up getting promoted or what happened? No, so as far as I'm aware, the only change to the league is that um, Millwall have been relegated. So uh, we have Beckhamians coming up. I think that's how you say it. But they'll probably tell me I'm wrong when we actually get the game against them. Um, but Battersea didn't get promoted. They lost out by, I think, a single point on uh, what would have been a playoff game that would never happened against um, London Irish. So uh, Irish ladies have gone up to the league above. Battersea are staying with us and we get to have a, a good old ding-dong rematch next season. No, no, great stuff. But hopefully, because there's, there's a lot of competition for players locally, 
So how do you make London Welsh as a place for people to enjoy and develop their game? Because you know, there's less, I mean, less people are playing for Richmond, and you've got Roslyn Park, you've got Barnes, you've got Tunisians, you've got Ladies Club. So what, what's our point of difference, and how can we grow the number of people playing, and then and also the talent, I suppose, in the squad? I think definitely with uh, the high standards that we hold, we we do ask a lot of people, but I think we we kind of combine that with how much we enjoy playing, how much we enjoy each other's company. Um, the team all regularly organise like a monthly social or a monthly hangout to make sure that everyone's you know checked up on everyone's hang, staying close and tight. It's and and now we're joining a lot more, especially with London Welsh Hub. We've got so much more to offer people. Um, so any players that come in that aren't too sure like with work or if they need help with their work and, and making sure they find their feet on that side of things we we're now part of the London Welsh Hub to make sure that we've got a support system to help people get a lot more out of themselves no great and you know, so you t- just move on from rugby really in, in a sense you you mentioned um work's been a challenging time for you during the lockdown what do you actually do for a living Michael so I am a sports uh, rehabilitation therapist, which is a fancy way of saying like an injury therapist. Um, and I'm currently based at, uh, me and my uh, partner, we have a, a clinic based in St. Margaret's and I work with the chiropractor in Fulham. And um, due to government guidelines, uh, which have been kind of twisted a little bit to, to fit certain mem- uh, parts of the economy and not others, uh, I'm not able to work face to face or treat anyone until I get the green light, so that's been uh, probably the hardest bit about the last three three and a half months is is not being able to help people get get fixed and, and get better. Um, video video callings that can only, you can only do so much and teach people so many exercises before you kind of run out of things to say or to advise. So. Yeah, I've been trying to keep busy with uh, up in the social media game on that and then also doing a bit more kind of coaching work, especially with women's team. So, yeah, it's, it's just one of those tough ones. But when, when they give us a green light, we'll, uh, we'll be diving back into it, helping people get better and get fixed. And, and what's your business called and how can people find out more about it? So personally, I'm down on social media as MG Rehab. Um, so that'll be on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, but the clinics, are, so in St. Margaret's, it's me and my aunt, who's the physio, and we're ABC Sports Injury Practice. Um, and in Fulham, it's Census Health and Wellness. Uh, so those are the two places you can usually find me when I'm not in the middle of a rugby pitch. And do you specialise in any type of injury at all? Is it just all, or is it all types of different, you know, different injuries? Just anything, really. Like It can be... Um, Bad back, bad knees. I've been chatting to a few of the boys about problems with their hips and knees uh, and offering a bit of advice on that. Uh, it, it's quite funny. So whilst I was doing my training for my Masters, we did a lot of work with New Zealand rugby and South Africa rugby and the World Club Sevens uh, when they were in London. So that was quite enjoyable. And so I learned a lot from them. And I've been trying to take that kind of professionalism standard into all my sessions. So it's not like you get a not off-the-shelf kind of injury therapist who just says, do this, do that. It's this kind of... A good standard behind it, I'd like to think. So it's it's kind of the, the the difference points between just going to see anyone and coming to see us. Okay, and um, do you have a nickname? I've been asked by Kai Griffiths. So ask what your nickname is. <laughs> uh, so uh, my nickname, as dubbed by the the first famous Rev session I was part of with uh, the the Wonder Days, the Rev is uh, Shovel Face. Are you happy with it? 
I'm quite happy with that. It's uh, it's, it's quite funny. I, from university, I got I was trampoline mitt because I I was a county trampoline champion at school. Uh, probably because the weight pushed me off the bed quicker than most people, so I had more time in the air to do things. Um, I turned up to uni and they t- shortened that to Tramp, and I don't think my wife quite appreciated being called Mrs. Tramp for the last uh, five years. And then turned up to the club and called myself Tramp, and straight away Marky Weir grabbed me as like, you don't give yourself a nickname, we do. And uh, Tom Baldwin was nice enough to go, ah, he's got a face like a shovel. There you go. Yeah, you can never give yourself a nickname. Mark Wee is 100% right there. Completely correct. Well, I thought, I thought the, funnier, the funnier one was uh, after that night, I was coaching in the morning. So I came in and I don't know who'd left it there, but there was a shovel waiting for me on, on the on the area we were coaching the 16s the next day. <laughs> right, that's that's the, the benefit of team sport, isn't it? You know, the, 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 the banter and all. So just to wrap up, Michael, really, because you've been involved with the club sort of... Um, three or four years and played for them for a couple of years. You know, what does the club mean to you? Because you? you're heavily involved playing and coaching. You know, what does London Welsh mean to you? It's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like a traditional rugby club. And a, a lot of people may look at that now and go, well, that's completely old school. But actually old school is what seems to work the best. Um, you can see when, when clubs try to separate themselves off from, from their fan base or from their supporters or people who are generally there trying to make things better for them, it, it just doesn't work out. And the, the benefit of having a support structure on the field but off the field as well, having so many people that want to progress, anyone who joins the club, be it from the, the, the straightaway in the minis to the juniors to if they just turn up for a game for the the Ockies the or anyone who seriously wants to take their rugby seriously for the first team. There is just, everyone's there for their benefit. It's not a case of there's egos. Um, you know, you don't have to get on with everyone, but no one's there to suddenly decide that they're better than you. It's, it's up to you to prove it on the pitch, but also in the club after. And the supporters club will tell you straight away what they think of you, which is always good because they keep you in check and keep you in balance. And I think that's the kind of groundedness that every rugby club needs. Brilliant, Michael. Well, look, look forward to seeing you on the pitch as soon as possible. But in the meantime, look after yourself, look after your wife and our next generation of minis. All the best, Michael. And you, Gareth. Have a, have a good night, mate. What a great lad Michael is. It's funny what a small world the rugby community is. When he was playing minis rugby, Jonathan Shankland, our head of men's rugby, was playing senior rugby for the club. It's great stuff. Last season, I thought Michael and Andy Black were so consistent and a big reason why our scrum was so dominant in the league. I personally think he will relish the competition that new and returning players will bring. He's definitely a player that loves the club and also values you have to do the hard yards and training to be considered for selection. Let's not forget also his commitment to coaching the women's team. We'll hear more from the women's players on this pod in later episodes. But you can hear how much he enjoys coaching them. I believe they really value what he brings to the party. Next week, we have Justin Bunnell on the pod. Until next time, take care. <laughs>